Take your Bibles and turn to Luke uh, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 will continue our study this morning uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, if you want to follow along in the, uh, the Bibles provided for you in the pew racks in front of you, that's going to be found on page 725, 725. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name of the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the hearts of many hearts, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then she was widowed until until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything according required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. We extol you with our whole heart. Great are your works and are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are your deeds forever. You cause your wonder to be remembered. You are gracious and compassionate. You care for all our needs. You remember the covenant with your people. The works of your hands are faithful and just. And all your words are trustworthy. And yet, Father, we often... Do not trust your word. We do not believe that you will care for us in our affliction. We do not hold fast to your character and your works, but rather are filled with fear and anxiety of the future. Father, help us not fear our future or fear people, but help us fear you. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For all who follow your truth have good understanding. To you belong eternal praise. Father, you tell us to pray for our leaders, so we do so now. 
We pray specifically for our local judges and magistrates. We pray that as they hear a variety of cases, that you will give them a heart of wisdom and justice. We pray that you help them fear you more than anything else. Let them realize that they are instruments in your hands. Father, we also pray for other lands. We pray for the gospel to bear fruit in Indonesia. We pray that people's eyes may be open to hear and receive your truth. We pray specifically for the peoples there that do not have access to the gospel. We pray you continue to raise up missionaries to go and work for their good. And as you raise up people to go, soften their hearts now in preparation to receive your word. We pray specifically for Jennifer Baker as she's preparing to return there. Use her to build your kingdom in Indonesia. Father, we also pray for those who are sick among us. We pray specifically this morning for Ms. Genevieve Morton, God, who recently suffered a stroke. God, we pray that you will heal her, God. Allow the therapy to have its effect. We also pray for Olin and Winnie McKee. God, we just pray for your mercy to be upon Miss Winnie, God. We pray for strength for Olin. Oh, Lord, show them your mercy. Father, we ask now for our own hearts. Allow the thoughts of our hearts to be exposed. Reveal to us our need for a Savior. I pray that my, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name and the power of the Spirit. Amen. I love questions. I, uh, it's easy uh, to assume what somebody else is thinking or their motives, but the only way you really can know for sure is to ask the question. Uh, I, I, I am a talker, as many of you have realized, and I have learned this more and more as my uh, age has uh, grown, is that I need to ask and listen more. <laughs> I need to ask what's really going on in people's uh, lives. Uh, one of the reasons why I love to ask questions is because it makes people think and reflect on, 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 on a thought rather than just talking about the day. It actually forces us to think. So this morning, I'm going to ask you five questions from our text. If you want to follow along, you can use the back of your bulletin um, for the outline. And my prayer is that the questions that will, will force you to think and reflect, and Lord willing, will help to expose your heart. So let's dig in. Uh, first question, are you obedient? Are you obedient? One of the earliest complaints against Christianity uh, was that it was a religion that bred dissension and disobedience against the government. It's important to remember who Luke is addressing in this gospel. Remember, he's directing the most excellent Theophilus, a Roman official. You see, throughout this gospel, Luke goes out of his way to show how Christianity is an orderly religion. The Jews look to the Roman government to squash this religion by painting the Christians as a religion that would destroy the government by bringing disorder and dissension. The Jews mischaracterized Christianity so that the Jews would be the ones to gain favor from the government while Christianity would be persecuted. Look back on the text starting in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. 
Every firstborn male was to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and young pigeons. And look at verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. And verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Six times in this small section of Scripture, we see that Mary and Joseph were obedient to the word of the Lord. Luke is trying to make a point. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were obedient to the word of the Lord given through the angel. And they named the baby Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And truly, this baby would live up to his name. Praise God. In verse 22, we see that the, the time of pur- purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, Leviticus 12 explains that the purification ritual must occur after the birth of the child. Luke is showing how Mary and Joseph were obeying the law of Moses. They were not out to, to, to descend and be different than the Jews. They were up there to obey. The offering was supposed to be a lamb, unless they could not afford one. Then two doves or young pigeons would be acceptable. Luke points out specifically that Mary and Joseph were of humble means. They could not afford a lamb, but they offered doves or young pigeons. And I think you I just want to stop there. Just take note how God continues to visit those of humble means. The Lord regularly visits those who come from uh, positions of poverty. I think we often re- lament of our humble circumstances, you know, of, of our humble upbringings, while the Lord continues to show us that that's exactly where he continues to meet people, just like he did with Mary and Joseph. Well, not only did they fulfill the rite of purification from Leviticus 12, they also did that of Exodus 13 too, which says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whenever Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Consecrated to the Lord means set apart to God, set apart as holy. And we'll see throughout this gospel how how, how holy Jesus truly is. But Mary and Joseph are obedient to the law of the Lord. See, the start of Christianity did not come from dissenters, those who were stirring up division, but rather to the obedient. See, the attempt of first century Jews to discredit Christianity should not surprise us, should it? This is exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, how they tried to crucify him under Roman rule. Luke 23 verse 1 says this, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse Jesus, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. One of the common schemes of the evil one is to paint Christianity uh, in, in falsehood things that are not true. The Lord Jesus Christ and his followers have often been portrayed against the government, against order in society. Now think about it. How are Christians perceived in our day? 
We stand up for marriage and we are looked at as intolerant or guilty of bigotry. Look no further than the backlash against Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy. When he spoke up for traditional marriage, several big city mayors, Washington, D.C.'s, Vincent Gray, Chicago's Rahm Emanuel. I'm not, just because I'm from Chicago, I don't believe in Chicago politics. San Francisco's Edwin Lee said they would prevent Chick-fil-A outlets from opening in their cities. They did not want to encourage that type of intolerant business practices to their towns. Christian, Christians portrayed as subversive to society. Nothing is new under the sun. But here's my question. Is your life able to stand against the criticism of the world? See, Luke, all Luke had to do to, to show that, that Christianity wasn't birth of the sinners was look at Mary and Joseph. Look at how obedient they were to the law of the Lord. Six times he highlights it. They weren't out to overthrow the government, but to obey. Can that be said of you? When the world criticizes Christianity, can, can we uphold your life as a, as a statement that their criticism is untrue because of your holiness, because of your grace, because of your love for all people? Or do you confirm their criticism? We must let our, let our light shine before men so that we may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. We must be prepared always to give an answer for the hope that we have but we must do so with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against us will be put to shame and be ashamed of their slander. Are you obedient? Second question, are you waiting? Are you waiting? We turn to look at two older saints and how they're waiting for the Messiah. Verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Again, we see a righteous and devout man shown special favor from God. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that's not a, a, a way we typically talk about nationalism, but that's what it means. The, the consolation of Israel was referring to the hope of deliverance of the nation. This longing was very common in Jewish thought. This deliverance was going to come through the Messiah. So Simeon, by the, power, by, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, was waiting to see the Messiah. He was waiting. Lord, come, show yourself. He lived in the hope that God's promise of hope, spoken through the Old Testament prophets, would be fulfilled. He lived in the hope that God's word would come to pass. But he also draws attention to the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Simeon experienced revelation by the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit, was pray, praise God in the Holy Spirit. Notice, this is before Pentecost, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which just reminds us the Holy Spirit is always active. The Holy Spirit has been active since eternity past, and He will be active until eternity future. But I think what He also shows is that God is, one, is the one behind this whole scene. The Holy Spirit moved Simeon to go to the temple. 
Now, you know, Simeon reminds me of many of you. Uh, I'm so thankful uh, to be here at Park Baptist Church. Uh, I think when you go away, I think you can appreciate this church even more. And I, I, I love this fellowship. And I've learned so much from especially those of you who are uh, senior saints in our midst. One of the most difficult things for a young man uh, is to have proper perspective of the, of the importance of life. We're often focused on our present needs and future worries. Uh, we can miss what really matters in life. Uh, as one enters the autumn of life, I think it's easier to gain proper perspective. You have the, the experience of looking back and seeing mistakes and seeing regrets, but also seeing blessings of this is how life truly works. There is much us young people in this congregation can learn from our senior saints. I pray that God would continue to use you to help this church gain perspective, that we wait on the precious promises of our Lord. Simeon waited for God's promises to be fulfilled. Are you waiting? Are you waiting? Third question, are you ready? Not only are you waiting, but are you ready? Are you ready when this waiting ends? Look at verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child, Jesus, to him, what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, so now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. God promised Simeon that he would see the Christ. Can you imagine what he, what he thought when he saw that child? The Greek word there for arm, when he took him in his arms, is a rarely used word. It's kind of like cradling in his arms. I get the picture of a grandfather welcoming in the, the first grandchild into their family, holding him so preciously. Simeon was struck with joy. He could not help praise God. Look at his words. Sovereign Lord, the one who is in complete control. You, O oh Lord, you have done it. You have fulfilled your promise. Now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon is telling the Lord, I am ready to die. I am ready to go. I have seen your salvation. Now, that's something we kind of say a lot, right? We don't always realize what we're saying, but you know, after we eat a delicious piece of, of red velvet cake, we, 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 put the, we push the plate back and we say, oh, I could die happy, right? You know, or um, when Clemson finally wins a bowl game. I'm sorry. That was too good. But, you know, Simeon wasn't just saying a platitude. He was truly ready to die. Are you truly ready to die? How could Simeon say that? Look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. When he looked down at that baby in his arms, he said, I have seen your salvation. Lord, dismiss your servant in peace. It's important to note, this is the first place explicitly in Luke's gospel that the reference of Jesus' mission is not only to that of Israel, 
but it's also to the Gentiles. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 42, 6 through 8. I am the Lord. I called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. My praise, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 49.6. Now listen to this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. It's too small for this Messiah only to rescue the nation of Israel. It goes on. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That salvation is offered to all people. Salvation has come. He has come to be a light to the nations. That's our mission, beloved, to be a light to the nations, to show people the glory of Jesus Christ, that there is salvation in Him. But sadly, I don't know if we're ready. Simeon was ready. I'm not sure if we are. Listen to Luke 10, 23 and 24. It says this, Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. To hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And 1 Peter 1.10-12, speaking of this salvation, says concerning this salvation, the one that Simeon looked down upon, the prophets who spoke about the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you who have been preached the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Then he says this, even angels long to look into these things. Do you get that? Prophets, kings, angels long to look at this salvation. We live in a privileged time, in a privileged place. Do we take that for granted? Has anyone heard a grandpa often say, you are lucky because when I grew up, I used to have to walk 10 miles to school every day, barefoot, in the snow, through the woods, with no jacket, while I carried my sister in a backpack and I walked my dog. You are lucky, Right? I mean, we, we, we laugh, but we may not be always lucky, but we are blessed. We live in a privileged time. I mean, think about it. We live in a day with incredible convenience, from cars to, to modern medicine to cell phones. I think we often just take it for granted. Beloved, let us not take for granted this salvation. We live in a privileged time. Angels, kings, prophets long to look into this salvation. And yet many dies, most of us do this with our Bibles. We have them closed, sitting on a shelf. Beloved, let us open them. Let us look intently into the salvation we have 
in Christ. Next question. Are you falling or rising? Are you falling or rising? So how do we not take this salvation for granted? We look to Jesus. Mary and Joseph were amazed at what was said about Jesus. Now think about this. They've already heard from angels. The angel Gabriel appeared uh, to them. Uh, They heard Jesus was born of a virgin. That was probably pretty shocking to them. They had seen that the prophecies already made about him. But look what Simeon goes on to say of why these parents should be amazed. Verse 34. The Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. See, Jesus did not come only as salvation. He also came for division. He said, he is said to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. It is clear throughout Jesus' life that not every Israelite would accept Jesus Christ. Luke points that this rejection was foreseen even at the, the outset of his life. One of the images of the Messiah that is, that is continued to use through the prophets and, and through the New Testament is the image of a stone. Jesus being the, the precious cornerstone. Listen to uh, 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, and he's quoting Isaiah, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This is the commentary. Now to you who believe, you who believe, this stone, this Jesus is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. According to Peter, if you believe in Jesus, you are rising. But if you do not believe in Jesus, then he becomes a rock that makes men fall. Disbelief causes men to stumble because they disobey the message. So are you falling or are you rising this morning? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? the incarnate deity born of a virgin, lived a perfect life only to die a sinner's death, and yet God raised from the dead to eternal glory. If you're here today and you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, consider what it means to fall. I mean, sometimes we just kind of need to figure out where do we stand. Uh, When I was a a freshman in high school, my friends dared me to go up to the prettiest girl in school and ask her if I had a chance. So I was a, I was probably looked probably pretty much the same I do now, minus the beard, right? So I looked like a baby face, and I went up to this girl and I said, "Excuse me, ma'am, uh, do I have a chance with you?" She smiled and goes, "No." <laughs> right? At least I knew where I stood. Right? I didn't stand a chance. 
Well, have you ever asked yourself, do I stand, where do I stand with the Lord? What does it mean to fall? I think oftentimes when we think about falling, it's, we think about tripping over a stone, right? A pebble, in the, a rock in the road we, we trip over and stub our toe and, and may fall down. That's not the imagery here. The imagery here is not slipping over a stone, but it's falling off a cliff onto the stone. There's a big difference there. When you fall, falling on Jesus means that you are destroyed. So are you falling or are you rising this morning? The consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ are severe. If you are here today and you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, don't lead today without talking with someone next to you, saying, what must I do to be saved? How can I rise and and look at Jesus as a precious stone? Now, this division has a purpose. Look at verse 35. It says, So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. God wants to expose the thoughts of your hearts. Now, we can fake it for a long time, can't we? But eventually, our true colors show. God wants to know God wants us to know what's in our hearts. And can I just say this? We want our hearts exposed. We want the thoughts of our hearts exposed. We want our sin exposed because it's the only exposure of our, of our sin when we realize that we need a Savior. Too often, beloved, in the church, we, we, we hold in our sin. We are afraid to share our struggles Beloved, we should confess it. We should expose it. Because one day it's going to be exposed anyway. You see, when God wants your sin exposed, not so that he can can point at you and say, See? You're a hypocrite. That's not God. God wants your sin exposed so he can say, See? Look at Jesus. I know that you're a sinner. I know that you are condemned but I sent Jesus not to condemn you, but to save you. You see how he's hanging on the cross, dying for you. God does not want to come to expose your sin to knock you down. He wants to expose your sin so you will run to him. Run to him. Run to the Lord. We don't want anyone to know about our sin, but the one who knows of our sin wants to expose it so that we will run to him. Beloved, if you are struggling with sin, Confess it. Run to him. During college, uh, one of my roommates and fellow football player um, was playing kickoff, and uh, he got walloped, right? Got his bell rung. Uh, it, it hurt bad. Uh, you know, normally when you get hit in a football game, you kind of feel a little bit better on Monday. Well, he was still hurting by the end of the week. Uh, so he had to go, not just to our trainer, but he had to go see a doctor. Uh, and when they examined him, what they found was cancer. Uh, he got his bell rung, a 20-year-old 20 20 uh, man, uh, and that pain allowed the doctors to, to see he had cancer. But you know what? That pain actually saved his life. Because if he wasn't hit, he didn't experience that pain, the doctors would have never found the cancer. By God's grace today, he's still living and still alive, has a beautiful son, uh, married, living in New Jersey, right? Because he had pain. Listen, God sometimes wants to hurt you in the sense that he wants to expose your sin. Why? So he can save your life. Do you want your life saved? Are you falling or rising this morning? Lastly, and briefly, are you sharing? 
are you sharing? We, we kind of, just for time's sake, I can't talk much about this, but look, look at this last verse, verse 36, last three or four verses. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was a widow. She was a widow for a long time. Now, I know many of you can relate to that. And yet she continued to stay faithful to God. She was in the temple day and night, fasting and praying. I think it shows us, beloved, that you're never too old to worship and serve God. doesn't matter what your circumstances, what your stage of life, and you are never too old to serve and worship God. But I want you to notice something here, that after seeing Jesus, what did she do? She spoke about the child. She spoke about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Anyone who was inclined to hear, she spoke to. Is that your experience? When you have trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you want to tell people about it? You know, a, a pastor in Texas says that we are natural evangelists, right? Naturally, we are all evangelists, but we share different things. If ever you guys eat at a good restaurant, what do you say to your friends? Oh, man, you got to go to that restaurant. That restaurant is awesome. You should taste the burritos there. The burritos are so full and so good, right? Because you want to share the good things that you've experienced, right? Have you experienced the good thing of salvation in Jesus Christ? Do you share about Jesus like you do about your new piece of technology or your favorite TV show? We should share about Jesus like this woman who fasted and prayed day and night, looking for someone to tell about this great God that we serve in Jesus. Are you sharing? I pray it be so. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we pray that you will reveal our hearts, Lord. Father, we ask now that you expose our sin, expose the thoughts of our heart, not to condemn us, Lord, but to to show us where we need to turn to you. Father, let the people here know that those who turn to you, you will not condemn, but that you will save. Reveal the thoughts of our heart that we may turn to you. Father, we have received much grace by your hand. God, I pray that we will share that grace with those we encounter. For anyone who will listen, let us share about the good news we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, how salvation has come to be a light to the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.